What makes you you? What's your identity? Where does your identity come from? That's a fundamental question that each of us has to answer at some point in our life. What makes me, me? And how do I define me? That's the fundamental question that is addressed in the letter to the Ephesians. And we're going to begin a study of this letter that we find in our New Testament. And we're going to look at the background and the context of the writing. We're going to look at some of the examples and the important things that are taught in this book. And we're going to apply it to our life as best we can. So I'm so grateful you've decided to go on this journey with us in the study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now I say it's Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's traditionally considered to be authored by Paul. In fact, in the very first verse, he identifies himself as Paul. A couple of things we need to be aware of there, just because it is important to be honest. Uh, and if we're presented with different information, we want to be able to accept that without it rattling our faith in some way and causing us to question everything. It was not uncommon in the ancient times, uh, in, the, in the time of the first century, for followers of certain teachers to write things in the style of their teacher uh, based on things they heard their teacher say and then to sign the teacher's name to it. They didn't think about copyrights and plagiarism the way we do. It would not have been odd for someone to say, Paul, at the end of a letter, that Paul did not write. And so when we see scholars having some debate and some difference of opinion, and it is very much split in the, in the academic community as to the authorship of this letter. Some say it was literally Paul who wrote it, and some say the date of the writing, as best we can tell, may be a little later than Paul. Um, it, it may be contemporary to Paul, but the style of it is very Pauline. It is very much like Paul the style and the tone and the structure. But it's missing some key elements that a lot of Paul's letters have. For instance, most of Paul's letters contain personal greetings uh, near the end. Ephesians does not. And so we're left with this um, kind of sense that maybe someone else wrote this, but they may very well have written it based on a sermon or based on another letter that they saw from Paul. In fact, a letter very similar to this was passed around in the early church addressed to the church in Laodicea. And it bears striking resemblance to this letter, and it's given rise to the thought that this might have been more like a form letter. That this might have been written, maybe it was a sermon that Paul preached, maybe it was a letter he wrote, and it was adapted to basically say to the saints who are at blank, and then you'd fill in the blank and send it off. Um, the church at Ephesus is who this is written to. Uh, whether it was written by Paul or not, it is definitely important and God-breathed and spirit-inspired and valuable to us. Uh, but I did want to get that out of the way, a little bit of interesting history. Ephesus is located in present-day Turkey uh, in the Mediterranean Sea area and uh, was a place that Paul visited a couple of different times uh, and was the place where Timothy uh, was stationed at one time. Timothy uh, the recipient of the letters to Timothy, uh, as would be obvious, uh, was in Ephesus. And you can see some of the things that Timothy was dealing with that Paul wrote to him 
uh, are at play here in the encouragements to Ephesus. Uh, and so whether or not it was written by Paul himself or by someone else, um, we know the place. We generally know the time, somewhere in the middle part of the, the first century. Whether it be in the 50s or the 60s, there's some difference of opinion about that. Something important to consider. Anytime we are reading the Bible, anytime we are studying, uh, particularly the letters that are written to other Christians, we're reading someone else's mail. Paul or whoever wrote this and sent it off to Ephesus, where it would be read out loud to the Christians there. When we find it, it was intended for someone else. And sometimes we have a habit of taking what we read and reading back into it our own experience or our own context. And it's very important that we understand what was being said and why it was being said to those people then and draw our applications from that. And that's the approach we're going to take in looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, it would be as if you were walking along and you found a letter and you picked it up and you started reading it. It wasn't addressed to you. This is someone else's mail. I say that, but let me also say this. This is scripture. This isn't something we just found. We have it for a reason. So although it was not written to us, it was written for us, for our benefit, for our understanding, and for our learning. And so we're going to try to do that as we study the letter to the Ephesians. So let's begin reading. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and, and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, again, I started this by asking the question, who are we? What is our identity? How do we know and how do we figure out who we are? This letter is all about your identity. This letter is about discovering who you are in Christ. And here he goes, getting right into it. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Now, okay, this, this is a little bit uh, problematic. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Hmm, that's curious. Let's keep reading there. Uh, verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. Okay, um, th this is hard. This is challenging. Because there are some religious groups, Christian groups, who believe in a doctrine of predestination. Think of John Calvin. Think of the Calvinist. Think of the, the um, uh, churches and de uh, denominations that have evolved from there. The Presbyterian Church um, and, and others who have a very strong doctrine of predestination. They believe that your life is mapped out before you, you don't know it, and the things that appear to be chance to you are simply uh, God's will that, that is transpiring. In fact, even so much as to say that your very salvation has been predetermined, that there are those who will be lost forever 
who it was already decided at the beginning were going to be lost. And those who are saved, it's already been decided who's going to be saved. There's no changing that course. There's no changing that direction. And a lot of that doctrine comes from verses like this, where we have this, this wording here that he chose us before the foundation of the world, and he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ to him. What does that mean? Does it mean that God decided before he even created the world who he's going to save and who he's not going to save? I don't believe that's the case. If that were the case, then it seems very strange to me that Jesus compelled us to go into all the world and to preach the good news and, and, and teach them to obey him and baptize them. That seems very strange to me. Because why, would, why wouldn't he just say, go into all the world and just save the ones that I'm already going to save? Um, I don't think God is a trickster. And I don't think God is playing games. And I don't think that we're meant to take these words, chose and predestined, uh, literally. Again, we're thinking of it in our own context. We're not thinking of it in their context. Consider this. When God created the world, and God is omnipotent, he knows all things, uh, he's ever-present in all things, God knows what his plan is. When God created man, he knew what his plan was. Now, as we read it and we experience it, it seems like the plan evolves. You know, he's dealing with these people who then commit sin and he casts them out of the garden, and then he deals with certain families and the heads of those families, and then he gives them a law, and he chooses a nation that will be his nation. And they can't keep that law, and so he sends his son, who dies, and all those who accept him are going to be saved. It seems like this plan goes through stages. But God knew from the very beginning what he was going to do with his people. In fact, he chose a people, the Israelites. Now, did he predestine them to be faithful? Well, I would assume no, because they were not always faithful. Did he predestine them to be unfaithful? No, because sometimes they were faithful. Did he predestine them to be his and to be special to him? Yes, because they are. But or or or, or I'm sorry. Did, did he choose them to be predestined as special to him and, and loved by him? Uh, well, sometimes he turned his back on them. Did he predestine them to be lost and cast out from him? No, because sometimes he was faithful to them and they were faithful to him. There's there is not an indication here in this text that what we're dealing with is predestination as we know it. What we're really talking about is a plan, a predetermination. You see, God set forth at the beginning of all things that through his son Jesus, those who choose him will be saved. Now, it's possible for us to predetermine a group of people without knowing who will be in that group. We do this all the time. We say, uh, you know, anybody who shows up at a certain time is, you know, is going to get into an event or to a venue. And the people that show up, they get in. Uh, I went to a, a baseball game a while back. And oftentimes when you go to professional baseball games, even minor league games, they're doing promotions of various kinds. And they have giveaways. And the first 30,000 fans will get a free whatever. Um, well... The first 30,000 fans will get a free whatever. You can say that the first 30,000 fans were predestined to get this promotion. 
you could say that it was chosen ahead of time that the first 30,000 people in the door would get this gift. But we don't know who they will be until they show up. God predetermined, predestined, and prechose that those who accept his son will be saved. You can see this all the way back in the Old Testament. He said, Israel, you are my people. And later on, he clarified, Israel are the chosen. They are the ones who are chosen by virtue of their birthright. And later, he expands that to be those who are chosen not just by their birthright, but by adoption through Christ into God. Now, this is some complicated stuff, but we have to try and break free from this idea because if we're talking about identity, who we are, and God's bestowed all these gifts upon us and we belong to him, that identity really loses a lot of its flavor if it was all decided beforehand, if we didn't have a choice in it. And it doesn't really make sense compared to what we know about God to say that he predetermined anything about any of us. Now, he knows what the future holds, and he knows where we're headed. He knows what will ultimately happen. But that doesn't mean he sets us on a course. He doesn't set us on a course that we cannot divert from. God might know whether I'm going to be in heaven or hell. But I have the, the, the ability to decide how I'm going to live and which path I'm going to take that will ultimately lead me to one of those places. I had the choice as to whether or not I would accept Jesus Christ. God knew what I would do, but I had the ability to choose. I know that scrambles our brain sometimes, but I don't want to get bogged down too much on this idea of predestination and his foreknowledge and choosing before the foundation of the world, these first few verses. But I do want to say that we shouldn't let a literal understanding of those words cloud our minds about God and about us. What he predestined was that those who are in Christ will be saved. What he predestined or what he chose beforehand was that he would have a people that would be his. Who is in that group is based solely on our faith and our acceptance of this gift of grace. So I just want to try to clarify that, that we're not going to get hung up on these words uh, and give them meaning that's not there. That would be reading back into this verse an established doctrine of man. So we're not going to do that. But let's keep going here. Um, it says that he, he um, chose beforehand, this is verse uh, 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ because we are not born with the birthright of salvation. He predestined us into adoption. We were made a part of the family. We were brought into the family. We were put in the house. And we were done that by the Father through Christ. We are adopted children. Homeless, orphaned, without anything. And he brought us in. That, that is what we are. And he did this um, to bring us to him according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. That's in Jesus. Now verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable 
to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, and things on earth. Wow. Um, very, very... Um, I, I, it, the language used here is just incredible. It's very visual, and it's very rich, the way he explains our relationship with God through Christ, and the way he explains the grace of God that came down through Christ. This is what I'm talking about by identity. This is what I'm talking about when it means the definition of who you are. It's right here in Ephesians chapter 1. It's right here in these first 10 or so verses. When he talks about us being chosen by God, he picked us. Not literally, not in a predestined sort of way, but he, he, he decided that these people that he loved would be his through Christ and that they could be made right with him through Christ. And repeatedly the author talks about uh, why he did this and how he did this. Redemption through his blood, Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to what? The riches of his grace. Saved by our sins in by no other means than just the abundant love and grace of God. And he lavishes that on us. He doesn't just give enough. He gives more than enough. It's abundant, abundant grace. And he does this with wisdom and insight. And he revealed something to us. He's let us in on the secret, the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in Christ. Why? With a view to an, and this is, this is tough, let's parse this, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven, things on earth. That means he did this with an idea that it was going to be more than enough, that it was going to meet the needs of our life and of our heart, and it would it would set right the things that needed correcting with an, an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. Okay? He is going to give grace to you. He has given grace to you, not just a little, but abundantly. He is rich with grace. He is rich with love. And he's done it in a way that is sufficient. He has met every need you have. Now, let's keep going. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Again, here's this word, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we were excuse me that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory okay again we're not going to get hung up on this word predestined it just means he decided a long time ago what he was going to do all right he didn't he he hasn't set uh, whether you'll you'll make it or not uh, that's up to you but he has made it possible and he decided a long time ago that he would make it possible for us to be his children. So, uh, let, let's go back there, verse 11. Um, uh, obtained an inheritance, all right? This language is very familial. It's very much a family-oriented kind of, of language. This entire letter is going to talk to us about our identity. And if you're going to talk about identity... You might talk about characteristics. You might talk about temperament. You might talk about relationships amongst a family. But first and foremost, if you're going to define identity, 
You've got to start with who you belong to. Who's your father? From where did you come? And Paul here begins this letter with affirming our identity in Christ and through Christ with God. Our identity is based in the fact that God is full of grace and full of love, and he lavishes that grace and love on us, gives it to us in abundance that we may be adopted sons and daughters, that we can be brought into the family that we weren't born into, but the family we so desperately need. And not only that, we get an inheritance. He's, he's let us in on the family secrets. He's told us the things that we need to know to get through this life, and he's given us an inheritance. And that inheritance is eternal life, and that life is meant for the children, for the family. And we've received it. And so as we begin this study and we go through this letter to the Ephesians, and I hope you continue to join us for, for those lessons, understand, first and foremost, the theme of this letter. Who are you? What is your identity? The theme of Ephesians is finding your identity in Christ. You can be a lot of things. I identify as a member of my family. I identify as a resident of my town, my state. I identify as someone who grew up in another state. I identify as uh, by my race. I identify by my gender. I identify as a father. I identify as a spouse, as a son, as a brother. I identify uh, as an American. There are a lot of things that identify me in different aspects of my life, but what is the most important? What is at the core? What is at the heart of who I am? Because all of those things are going to let me down at some point. You know, my kids are going to move out. I'll still be a father, but not like I am now. That relationship will change. Uh, you know, I'll have, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I'll have my wife uh, and, and, and that won't change, but our you know, relationships will evolve. And one day your, your spouse may be gone. One of you is going to be left behind and the other will, will be gone. Um, things in my country might change. I might move to a different state. A lot of things can change. What is your core? Who are you at your core? Well, if you're a child of God at your core, that is how you identify. You identify as a Christian. Not just the name of a faith. You identify as a child of God. You identify as someone who God thought highly enough of to give his son for, to trade his life for yours, to bring you into the family, to give you everything you need, to lavish the gift of grace upon you, and then to tell you the family secrets to show you how to live, and to give you the inheritance. There's a lot in this world that can absolutely wreck us and cause us to question who we are and challenge our sense of identity. The one thing that is unshakable and unmovable and will never be untrue is that God Almighty chose you. He chose to give his son for you. And your identity, if nothing else, is wrapped up in that. I hope you'll stick with us as we keep going through Ephesians. It's going to be a great, great study. And we're going to learn what it means. 
to be who we are, to be children of God.